You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So uh, we're good. we're in the second week of our grace series on how grace changes everything. And as, as you can see, we kind of talk about the framework of grace. That's what the frames are on the back here. Our creative arts team does a great job in, in bringing out visual aspects of, of each worship series and sometimes each week as we gather. And, and we're looking at the book of James through this framework of grace, how grace changes everything. And, and so um, I want to I start with that this morning because... The topics that I'm going to speak on this week and then in a couple of weeks again um, are kind of seems like James is saying, he's pointing a finger and, and, and saying, don't do this, okay? But we want to make sure we look at this through the lens, the framework of grace. That would, what, what James is really saying here today is, is, is uh, the main point is wrapped around verse 8 of James 2. Okay, And he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Okay, He says, if you keep this royal law, now why does he call it royal? He calls it royal because if it's the law that we keep, all the rest of the laws can go away. Because first, as you remember, as Jesus has said this in the, in the Great Commission, in the Great Commandments, he said, what's the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the key. And so what James is saying here is, because of this grace, because Jesus so loved us, and, and he gave us this great commandment to love him and to love others, if we keep this royal command, this royal part of Scripture, this royal law, then we're going to be doing right. And so, how many of you want to live right? A couple that still don't know, so... But we all want to live right. So the principle we're going to look at today is favoritism. It's favoritism. We find it in, in the first verse. James says, my brothers. Now, anytime James says, my brothers, you better perk your ears up because he's going to say something that's important. Okay? He says, my brothers, believers in our lo- glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. The Greek word that he used is actually a compound word. And as we break it down, it means to receive and to face. Okay, So it means to receive someone's face. What he's saying is, don't show that favoritism. Don't be that superficial to receive somebody's face. Stay away from that. You see, there's so many ways in our world today that we can find ways of discrimination, aren't there? We discriminate in a lot of ways. When we want to think of favoritism, and I'm going to tell a story here in a little bit. Actually, James tells the story. I'm just going to kind of uh, expound on it a little bit. But when we look at people's lives, don't we sometimes look at their appearance? and make a, a decision about them, what they look like, how they dress, how they, what their hair looks like, their grooming practices. Their appearance many times will, will become a discriminating factor. Their ancestry, their race, their religion. You know, in today's country, we, we, 
we've seen so many different things, and, and we talk about lives matter. This life matters, that life matters, this life matters. What, what Jesus and God says is all people matter. That's what James is, is trying to reiterate here, that all people matter. Don't show favoritism because all people matter. The third, the third area of discrimination is achievement. We gush over winners, don't we? Now, I like watching winners too, you know, LeBron James. You know, hooray for LeBron. He won, he won a title for Cleveland, you know, but we gush over those winners sometimes because of their achievements. And we might show him a little more favoritism if he was to show up at our worship experience. I hope not, but age. We're either too young or we're too old. When I started uh, church planning, um, I was in my 40s, and, and I, I thought to myself, I'm just too young to do this. I'm too young to do this. And now uh, I'm, I'm almost 60, and uh, I'm saying, I'm too old to do this. I'm too old to do this. And I think that's a perception that I have when I look at others, too. And then, and then maybe the most common form of discrimination is affluence, where people live, what they drive the amount of money they give or, or the, if they're philanthropic enough. And we, want to, we look at their affluence. James gives us an illustration of, of some discrimination that took place. And I want to call this the case of the nearsighted usher. Okay? So as you look at this, it's the case of the nearsighted usher. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Two men come in at the same time. One's got an Armani suit on, and he's got a gold finger, okay? Gold ring on his finger, gold finger. And then maybe somebody with unkept hair, maybe hasn't shaven in a few weeks, raggedy old pair of jeans, and a torn T-shirt. They walk in. Now, this nearsighted usher Gave the guy in the Armani suit up front, gave him the best seat in the house. And he told the guy with the jeans and the scraggly shirt that he could stand in the back. James is illustrating here today, and again, he's overreacting a little bit to a situation, but it's things that I think we do personally. I know I do them in my life. I found myself, as I studied for this the last, over the last two weeks, I found myself driving down the road and I'd see somebody and, and, and one person was driving a Tesla and they kind of pulled out in front of me and you know what my thoughts were? Yeah, look at that. The guy's got a, driving a Tesla and he, you know, he thinks he owns the road, okay? I was discriminating immediately about that fella. I tell you, it comes closer to home than that. Um, at my uh, last church that I was serving at, uh, we, had, we had a couple come in. It was a husband and wife, white, white couple, and they had adopted four, my wife would know, four or five black children they adopted. And they um, came to church, visited one Sunday. They came in right as our worship was starting. May, may, we may have been in the first or second song of our worship set, and 
I was in the back, and I saw him come in, and we, we kind of were full that Sunday. And so I said, come on, come on, come on right up here. I said, I got some seats for you. And so I ushered him up, and I sat him in the third row. Well, I found out afterwards that um, she came up to me, the, the, the wife, and uh, she said, she was in tears, and she said, I just want to thank you. I go, well, you're welcome, but what are you thanking me for? And she said, because, she said, you're not going to believe this, but this happened in this town. She said, we showed up with our children, and she said, we were told we could sit in the back behind a curtain because they may disrupt the worship experience. And I said, that doesn't happen in Camdenton, Missouri, ma'am. And she said, it did happen in Camdenton, Missouri. And so I want to tell you that those things, we may look at them and say, no, churches are loving and kind. I'm going to tell you there are churches and groups that get together out there that may be not quite as loving and kind. And I don't know what the motive was, and I don't want to go there. I just want to tell you that this woman felt like she was being discriminated against and not welcome in the body. So I want, I want to look at three problems then that I believe that discrimination brings up, okay? The first problem is, fa- is, is that favoritism is unchristian. Favoritism is unchristian. We read in, in Romans 2, it says, For God does not show favoritism. Aren't we thankful for that? I am. I'm thankful he doesn't show favoritism because I'm not sure I would be in his good graces for some of the stuff that I did over course of my life. And so um, Peter, Peter in Acts, um, we read about Peter, uh, Acts chapter 10, where he talks about God not show, that God didn't show favoritism to Peter. Paul in Ephesians and Colossians reiterates both times that, that we serve a God that does not show favoritism. All right? And so faith and favoritism are not compatible in the kingdom. You want to know why? Because we're family. We've been inherited by a daddy who took us in and said, you're now mine, and so we're family. And, and, and I know there's a lot of dynamics in families, but you should love each other unconditionally, or at least try to. People look at the outward appearance uh, in 1 Samuel, um, it's written, People look at the outward experience, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, once you become his child, the Lord looks at you, and, and now he's looking at the condition of your heart. And, and as, as we know, as followers of Jesus, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. He gives us this gift. It's him himself living inside of us. And he gives us then that opportunity to grow. He mentors us because he's living in us, because he wants what's best for us. And so um, discrimination is not Christian-like. And that's one of the problems that we deal with. Discrimination's all over the world. There's one place that there shouldn't be discrimination. That's in the church and in the body of believers. Okay? When I say church, I don't mean four walls. Okay? I hope, hope you understand that. That the church is actually, when we leave here, we're still the church. Just so happens Jamie might go to Walmart after worship and Jennifer may go back to the preserve and, and Otto may, may be going to, uh, out to eat someplace nice, taking his wife to it for a nice dinner. Nice lunch, that would be nice of you, Otto. There you go. But it should be one place, as believers, that, that when they're in our presence, they know that they belong. That they belong, that they're part of us. The second 
problem in, in, in favoritism, it, it, with favoritism is that it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. James actually says it's illogical. He writes in verse 5, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom? Now, now don't get James wrong here. He's not saying it's good to be poor and bad to be rich. That's not what he's saying here. In the context of the illustration that he gave us about the rich man that came in with rings and, and the poor man that came in with nothing and the rich man was treated different, that's the context he's talking about. It's illogical because in God's economy, he accepts everyone. He's, he came and the poor were come to him. The poor in spirit, The poor in spirit came to him, and he gave them hope. Verse 6, he said, it's not the rich who, who are exploring you. Again, he's not saying that it's bad to be rich. What he's saying is, is that many times people will use their affluence to get something from you. Or worse yet, you're going to use them to get something from them. Okay? And what, what James is saying, it's unreasonable. In the economy of God's, it's unreasonable. And it's, it's because of problem three. Favoritism is unloving. You see, God's economy has nothing to do with how much we have or don't have. It's about how much we love or don't love. Favoritism is unloving. It's the primary reason that James is talking to us in this passage. Verse 8 says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love the Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by law as lawbreakers. That's his economy. He doesn't care how much you make. He doesn't care. He actually doesn't care. I, I used to tell my people at, at my church that would say, you know, well, I'm really trying to figure out what God's purpose is, is for my life, you know, and what I should be doing. And I said, God doesn't care if you're a butcher, baker, or a candlestick maker. He doesn't care. What he cares about is with what attitude you're doing it and who you're doing it for. And so the, in, in, in love, the Bible says how we relate to others shows how much we love God. Paul, Paul um, in, it says, all the law fulfilled in keeping one command, love your neighbor. That's what Paul said. All the law is fulfilled in keeping one command, love your neighbor. For John, uh, first, in 1 John 4, whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they've not seen. See, there's a seriousness in this. There's a real seriousness in this, and James is trying to allude to it, that we, we need to look at the economy of love, and we need to understand that there's a serious in this favoritism thing and discriminating against people. In verses 10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So how many laws do you need to break to be a lawbreaker? One. That's right. You guys, we can communicate. You guys can yell back at me and don't, just don't say amen. Because <laughs> then it's over. We've got to quit, right? At the end, amen means it's over. Just teasing you all. James goes on and says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit that, that 
showing unconditional love is not easy. And we live in a world where, well, have you, have you watched the political process today? I, I, I'm, a, I'm utterly amazed that, that, that one person can run for an office, and I'm not going to, let's just keep it generic. One person can run for an office, and another person can run for an office, and they can be back and forth at each other and calling each other names and bringing out all kinds of stuff. And then they both, they both sit down with, with uh, uh, Billy Graham. No, he probably wouldn't sit down. And tell him that he's a Christian, been saved by grace. They haven't read James, have they? Because if they really were operating in this economy of love, I think there'd be a much different conversation going on in the political process. So anyway, that's all I'll talk about that for today. But there's a prescription. There's a prescription I think we can follow that will take us and help us to treat people, how to love people, how to love people like Jesus loved people. And consequently, if we do that corporately, you and I, guys, if we do that corporately, we're going to become a loving church. There was a, uh, a, a survey done um, about, and, and the consequences of it, as, as the outcome of it was, loving churches attract people. Loving churches attract people. 8,600 people in 25 different denominations were surveyed. And they, they talked to them about the love quotient. They developed this, this questionnaire that came up with a love quotient of how loving their churches were, okay? On a scale from 1 to 100, 12 of the churches fell under the 65. When, when they took the denominations and broke them down and, and, and through the survey, 12 of the denominations were, were under 65. All but two of those 12 were churches in decline. The other 13 churches were all above 65. And guess what? They were all in increasing. Okay? So love is the answer and how we love. Okay? And that's what I want to finish with today. Three things. First one is accept everybody. That's the start. Accept everybody. Romans 15.7 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That's the key. Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved you, okay? No questions asked. Paul writes, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That's a key. That should humble each of us. It has humbled me beyond this last couple of weeks. I've realized how, how really discriminatory I can be and that I need to work on that. And so I need to learn how to accept everybody. Acceptance and approval. You can accept someone without approving, okay? Because I know there's some that we, 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 we talk about, well, there's these things in somebody's life that we don't think are right. You know what? You don't have to approve, but you can accept. Okay? No perfect people. I, we, we had... At the, at the first church plant that I was involved in, we put a sign up. I didn't put it up physically, but we had talked about it in a lot of our meetings, and we put the sign up, no perfect people allowed. Okay? I, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be people that are going to get to heaven, and they're going to be disappointed because there's going to be people there they never expected to be there. No perfect people. A church is a hospital for sinners and not a hotel for saints. So 
Accept everybody. All right? Now, hard to do. Hard to do. How do we do that? Let's go to point two. Appreciate everybody. Paul writes in Philippians 2, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. To appreciate somebody, look at them and see what's good about them. Find something to appreciate, something you like about them. As you accept them, find something that you see in their life that you believe it. And then go tell them how much you appreciate that part of their life. They may need to hear that in the body of Christ. Okay? Now, sometimes you may have to be real creative with some people. Nobody got that? You may meet somebody and know them, and and you might have to be real creative to find something you really appreciate about them. But I promise you, if you look hard enough, God will reveal something in their life to appreciate, and then go tell them that. And then the third thing in, in the prescription of how to love people, how to treat people right, is to affirm everybody. Affirm everybody. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, encourage one another and build each other up. When somebody stumbles, don't criticize them. Sympathize with them. Affirm them. Walk with them. Be an encourager, not a complainer or a critic or a judge. Encourage, encourage, encourage. Now, I sound a little bit like that preacher that's on TV all the time being positive, okay? But in the body of believers, that's what we're called to do, is to love each other, is to affirm each other. There is no distinction in the body of Christ, for we, you, are all one in Jesus Christ. That's what his word says, we are all one. And so, shouldn't we then all the more Accept everyone, appreciate everyone, and affirm everyone that we walk into. Because we are one in Christ. What James is saying is believers in Christ that accept, appreciate, and affirm others are ones that imitate God and the grace He showed through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are family. And because we're a family, we know that grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. I think this, this message, this James 2, when I first looked at it and, and John asked me if I would preach this Sunday, I thought, oh my gosh, this is, a, this is a hard, this is, what's here for me to preach? But at, during the course of the several weeks as I prepared, this is really everything. This is really everything. Loving God with all your heart, enough that you love your neighbor And you become Christ-like in a world that needs to see him more than anything. And so I encourage you to not show favoritism, but to let grace abound because grace changes everything. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you. We, We just thank you for the grace that you extended each one of us, that you loved us so much that you did send your only son, Jesus, to die for us, Father. And I want to thank you for that today. And then, Lord, I want I want to admit to you, that, that I'm not so good at, at, one, loving you with all my heart, soul, and mind, but then the second part of that, I know I'm failing miserably to love my neighbor as myself, Father. I, I, I need you to help me. If you're in that boat with me this morning, I hope, I hope you ask that same thing. Say, Father, help me. Help me to love everyone like you love them. 
to serve everyone like you served us. To affirm everyone as you affirm us when we come to the faith. Father, thank you. Again, thank you for grace. Help us to extend that grace beyond these walls. We ask all this in Jesus' name.